Um, let us pray. Father God, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for your grace. And Lord, I pray for wisdom and understanding uh, through your words. And Lord, I pray for the listeners that they also um, learn from this uh, discussion or this lesson under God. Lord, uh, guide us and uh, that we come to know you more closer through this uh, lesson under God. Lord, thank you so much in all this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're slowly but surely uh, coming towards the end of John. We're more than halfway through our uh, wow. yeah. <laughs> through the first John. Uh, but I think we're going at a good pace. And uh, last time we dealt with um, what are called problem texts. Well, the texts aren't problems, but our interpretations can sometimes be problems. Uh, and often that comes from uh, we call presupposed theology. It means we have an idea of what the text should say. Therefore, when we read it, we try to match the text to what we think um, should be what God is saying. Rather than what he is saying, it, it often comes because uh, of a theological structure that we have in our minds. So we need to be willing to change our theological structure when we encounter a problem text, rather than reinterpreting the problem text to, uh, to be something that we can understand, um, or that we can understand within our framework. We need to change the framework. So uh, this is going to be yet another example of that, where in most translations, the translator has even changed some of the words in order to make it fit a theological system. But uh, it doesn't convey the right meaning. It doesn't convey what, what the original readers would have read and understood. Uh, so before we get into the verse, what that change was is the word sin as a verb is in the present tense in Greek. Um, so that is um, sometimes thought of as habitual, meaning that it's something they do by habit. It means they continue to do it over a long period of time. Um, but that's not the primary meaning of present tense. Present tense means simply to do that action at all. Uh, so in this text, 1 John 3, verses 7 through 9, we see an instance where most translators have chosen, rather than to translate sins as simply the fact of doing sin at all, they hedge and they say to continue to sin. But that's not actually what the Bible is saying. Um, so you'll see in brackets, I've put the word sins rather than continues to sin. So if you look in your translation, it will probably say continue to sin. Uh, but we'll read the verse and then we'll talk about why that's why that becomes a problem. So our first uh, section is 1 John 3, 7 through 8. And we're going to look at the absolute contrast that John makes between sin and righteousness. So he says, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. So in the first verse, 
in the first verse, we have a positive statement. Only those who are righteous, because they have righteousness in Christ, can practice any sort of righteousness. If you don't have the righteousness of God, even your good works are not righteous, but they are filthy works. Um, so Isaiah says in Isaiah 65, and Paul confirms that as well, that uh, even the works of the righteous, if not done in the righteousness of Christ, um, are filthy rags. But if Christ does the work through you, then they are acceptable. So here he is saying that essentially only one who possesses the righteousness of Christ can produce any righteousness at all. So that means um, not that if you are not producing righteousness, then you are not righteous in Christ, but it means that the unrighteous in Christ cannot produce righteousness, even if they wanted to. And the one who is righteous in Christ has the opportunity to practice righteousness because there is righteousness in them. Uh, the temptation with this verse is to say that if they are not practicing righteousness, then they are not righteous in Christ. But that is the middle ground here that we don't want to, um, without textual information, we don't want to say that means they're not saved because that's not what it means. It means that they are not walking in the truth that Christ has given to them, which is eternal life. So one who is righteous in Christ has the ability to practice righteousness because Christ lives in them. So then in verse 8, uh, Paul says, the one who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. So these look like um, two sides of a coin. One is saved and one is unsaved, but rather it's talking about uh, the stem or the root of righteousness and the root of sin that in the old man in the old nature sin comes through that body because it is of the devil it has been um, destroyed by sin the thing that is often forgotten by most and which is confirmed by john in the first chapter when he says that even christians sin is that the christian has two natures the christian has a sin nature and the Christian has the mind of Christ. They also have the spiritual nature. An unregenerated man has no spiritual nature in Christ. They have only the sin nature. So they cannot practice the righteousness of Christ because it is not in them. But the Christian can. But that doesn't mean that the Christian cannot also practice his sinful nature as well. He can revert back to his sin nature and live as if he were not a saved man even though he is. So that's what's happening here. And unfortunately, many translators have changed this to mean continues to sin. But this actually permits something that John says is not okay. Someone who continues to sin is of the devil. That means that someone who sins just a little bit is not of the devil, but of Christ. And that's not true. What this is saying is Christ can only produce righteousness. There can be no moments of sinfulness in the nature of Christ. So that what John is saying here is that righteousness comes from our new nature. There is no righteousness in our old nature. But sin does not come even for a moment from our new nature. If there is sin in the body of the Christian, it is coming from the old nature. There is no sin in Christ. There is no darkness in Christ. And when we change this verb to mean continue to sin, we're actually putting sin into the body of Christ. Uh, 
So we don't want to change the text to fit our theology. We want to change our theology to fit the text or to, uh, yeah, to fit what the text is saying. So here, the one who sins is of the devil. That is our sin nature, our old nature, the first Adam, not the last Adam of Christ. So this is when we are acting sinfully as Christians, we are sinning. And that sin comes from the devil. It does not come from Christ. That is a, a very hard pill for a lot of Christians to swallow who think it is somehow impossible for a Christian to sin, or that um, if a Christian does sin, it means they're not actually a Christian. But this is going to have two effects on the Christian who believes that. Either they are going to lie to themselves and also call God a liar by saying that they are not in sin, when in fact they are. Or they are going to become so depressed and disappointed by their spiritual walk and activity because they notice that they do sin because they are honest with themselves and understand that the things that they do are still sinful. That they are going to, rather than rest in Christ, they are going to stress and fear and worry about their salvation constantly. So we need to be able to rest in our salvation so that we have the tools to avoid evil and to do good. Um, and by doing that, we have to understand that any sin is absolutely evil and any sin comes only from Satan and from the old nature. And we need to live as if we are dead to that because spiritually and judicially, legally in Christ, we are dead to that. So we need to stop pulling the dead body out of the water. We need to leave it there and walk away from it completely. John makes a lot of these absolute uh, statements. He never has any gray area in his theology. It's always black or white. Uh, one of those examples is the, uh, the theme of light and dark in his epistle and also in the gospel of John. Um, and it comes up in Revelation as well. There is no darkness in light and there is no light in darkness. These don't mix. So he says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So this doesn't mean there's a little darkness sometimes. So there's not uh, someone who continues to sin is dark, but someone who sins just a little bit is not dark. Uh, that would be permitting darkness into the body of Christ. Um, that would be permitting sin in the body of Christ as long as it's just a little bit. And that is an atrocious idea. There is no sin in the nature of Christ. It cannot be part of it. If we are sinning as Christians, we are using our old nature. We are walking in the darkness, not walking in the light. So we need to walk in the light so as not to practice sin, so as not to sin. Another absolute contrast that he makes is love and hate. He never says, oh, we just agreed to disagree, or we didn't really like each other, but we didn't hate each other. If you're not loving, you're hating. If you're not hating, you're loving. Uh, that is the uh, the contrast that John is making, and he is going to the two extremes, uh, but he's doing that to show that there is a dividing line, there is a difference, and no sin, no darkness, no hate comes from Christ. If any of those are true of your walk and your activity, you are using the flesh, not using the spirit. So here, the one who loves his brother abides in the light. We're staying in the light. If we are loving our brothers, that has to come from the Christ nature, 
living within us. There is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the one who loves is walking in the light, is using the spiritual resources of Christ. They are resting in their faith. They are abiding in Christ. But the one who hates his brother is walking in darkness and is living in his old nature. He is using the flesh, not using the spirit. Another contrast that John makes is Christ and Antichrist. There is the spirit of Christ living in this world in the church by means of the Holy Spirit. But there is also the spirit of the Antichrist, the mystery of lawlessness that is present on this earth. And it is an anti-Christian idea, an anti-Christian sentiment, and an anti-Christian power that the Holy Spirit restrains and holds back on this earth. But it is present in the earth because Satan is the god of this earth. So the Antichrist message is a message against Christ's sufficient sacrifice, against Christ being who he said he is. There is no gray area here. Christ says you are either for me or you are against me. So Christ uh, cannot have any bit of Antichrist in him. It is all one or all the other. Uh, when the Pharisees accuse Christ of using the power of Beelzebub or Satan to heal, uh, Jesus rightly tells them that this is impossible, that a divided house cannot stand. If Satan were using his own power to destroy his own dominion and reign on the earth, then it would not be of Satan. It has to be of God. So uh, Christ also affirms that there is Christ and there is Antichrist. There is no in-between here. Um, so we do not want to hedge our bets and say, oh, it's just Christians who continue to sin or they are in a habit of sin. Any sin in the body of a Christian is something that needs to be confessed and to come back into fellowship with Christ. No sin is not that bad. All sin is bad and must be dealt with with Christ as a father deals with a child. All right, the other contrast he makes is life and death. In the Christ spirit, the new nature that the Christian takes on, they have the promise of eternal life. This cannot be diminished. It cannot be removed. It cannot be taken away from him. He cannot choose to abandon this life. This life is an absolute life that lives within him. Death is the opposite of this, and John makes no concession one for the other. It is one or the other. It says, we know that we have passed out of death. Death was our previous state before Christ's blood came to our account and rendered eternal life our absolute future. Um, so we passed out of death and into life. We don't hover in an in-between state of maybe we won't be saved enough and we'll end up dying. Maybe we aren't too bad, so we'll end up living. You are either dead, not in Christ, or alive in Christ. So he says, because we love the brethren, this is a sign uh, for us that we can only love the brethren if we are walking in righteousness. Uh, we have 
come out of death and into life if we are capable of loving our brothers. Uh, otherwise, we are. Uh, we need to either question, uh, am I in fellowship? If I am not loving my brethren, am I choosing to walk in that darkness? Um, or am I living in the light of Christ? If you have never believed in Christ, um, you have never been saved, you've never passed into life, um, then you are not able to be loving the brethren. Um, so he who does not abide, or who do, he who does not love, abides in death. So you are resting in your death. Uh, and this is not uh, talking about eternal death and eternal life here. Uh, he who does not love is abiding in the death that was his nature. So we are reverting back to our old nature and using the tools that we had in the flesh, not the tools that we have in the spirit. This is the one who does not love because he is living still in his old nature, despite the fact that that nature has been crucified with Christ. So John wants us to remember, and that's why he starts out his epistle with this absolute statement of saying, Christians do sin. This is a true fact about all Christians, and any Christian who says that he has never sinned is a liar, and any Christian who says he is not currently, at times, sinning uh, is a liar. But only the Christian has the ability to, for any time, not be in sin. A non-Christian spends every moment of every waking day in sin because he has never come into fellowship with God, never come into fellowship with Christ. He doesn't have that opportunity until he comes into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ to confess his sin and come back into fellowship. While we are in fellowship with Christ, there is absolutely no sin in our bodies that he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. When we sin as a Christian, we break fellowship with God and we need to come back into fellowship. When we are resting in him, there is no sin in the Christian. Um, one temptation for Christians is to say, well, I am always resting in him. There is no more sin reigning in me. It's impossible for me to sin even if I wanted to. This is not true. And this is a dangerous idea to have because you're either going to have to lie to yourself that some sins aren't sins and then you're going to be practicing sin and be out of fellowship with God while trying to convince yourself that no I'm still in fellowship with God because that's not actually a sin um, free grace theology sometimes gets accused of diminishing the heinousness of sin when in fact it is lordship salvation that has to diminish the heinousness of sin because they have to lie to themselves about things that are sinful and say that they are not sinful in order to, um, in order to believe that they are still saved. Or they have to hedge their bet and say, well, it's a continual pattern of sin, not um, an accidental sin or a moment of weakness. Um, those are just as heinous to God as patterns of sin. From the moment a person falls out of fellowship with God until they come back into fellowship with God, 
uh, there is no difference in their state from one who has a pattern of sin and one who has a momentary uh, setback or uh, falls into a weakness but does not practice a pattern of sin. Um, sin is sin, and while they are out of fellowship with God, there is no middle ground. They are out of fellowship with God. This is a fellowship issue, not a salvation issue. They are not able to be walking with Christ in close fellowship when they are in a moment of sin or when they are in a long pattern of sin until they confess and come back into fellowship with God. We cannot permit, even for a moment, sin being present in the fellowship with God. And keep in mind, we do have the promise of the future absence of sin, that in the future, we will be freed from the presence of sin altogether, that there will be no more moments of weakness, there will be no more patterns of sin in the eternal state. That will be completely gone. When we see Christ face to face and we are like him because we see him, there will never again be the presence of sin within us because the old nature, the old man, will be separated from the new creation in Christ. That dead body will no longer cling to us. It will only be the new nature in Christ with our glorified bodies. But we wait for the future time when that is true. We lie to ourselves if we say that it is happening now. So that's what John has said in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we as Christians say that we have no sin currently, that uh, we don't practice sin, we uh, don't have a sin nature anymore because we have the nature of Christ, uh, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. And that's another one of the absolute statements of John. There is truth and there is a lie. There's no in-between. There's no white lie. There's no gray area. It's a, it's a lie or it's the truth. Then he says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But this is the scary one. He says, if we say that we have not sinned, this means, uh, this is a present perfect, meaning that there has never been an experience of sin in our bodies. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. So that one of these is saying that if we say we are currently, we don't sin because we're Christians, that's a lie. But if we say that we have not sinned, uh, that makes God a liar. That's if we say that we have never sinned, that's never been a problem for us. Um, then this is tantamount or equivalent to saying, well, then God must be a liar. Um, so we want to avoid that at all costs. And we want to agree with God about the presence of sin in our bodies. And we want to grieve with God that that is a present reality in the Christian. And we want to long with God for the moment when Christ returns and that sin is gone forever. Again, this is a hard pill for people to swallow. They do not want to believe that it is possible for a Christian to act with the power of Satan. They say it's one or the other in the sense that a Christian is either going to be for God or he is going to be not saved. If there is a moment of sin in the body of the Christian, then uh, they are not a believer and they have never believed and they've never been saved. 
That is what many will want to say based on this. And it comes from, I think, uh, just a, it comes from confusion about the scripture. It comes from confusion about what's being said, but it comes from a heart that is much better than one who wants to lie about sin and say that it's not sin. Uh, it comes from someone who recognizes the heinousness of sin, and they have a hard time understanding how a Christian can have sin present in their body. We want to divide that truth on the right line. We don't want to build a fence around that truth farther out um, because there are going to be people who are uh, lost between truth and the lie that we've devised for ourselves. We want to find what that point of truth is with Christ, and we want to rest in that truth. So here we see Peter, um, who Christ accuses of using the uh, the root of Satan, his old nature, to uh, come up with a statement that he thinks is a good statement. Uh, so he says, from the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and to be killed and be raised up on the third day. So this is Jesus teaching his disciples that I must be killed. Uh, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned back and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. He is using the flesh to interpret reality. He is not using the spirit to interpret reality. He is resting in the old nature, which is captive and slave to Satan. It lives in Satan's world, and it is not part of the body of Christ. The old nature will not inherit the kingdom of God. The flesh cannot inherit the kingdom, but the spirit can. Um, so he is using his old faculties. He is not resting in the word of Christ, in the word of God. Ananias had a Satan-filled heart. Now, Ananias was a Christian, and he was a saved Christian. There is no not saved Christian. Uh, but we see that it was still possible for Satan to fill his heart. Satan is not able to indwell him. He is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But Satan can still deceive him by tricking his heart, uh, by, by uh, causing a stumbling block for him. So it says, but a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. So both of them understood that they were doing one thing and saying another and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias brought this gift to the apostles to give to the church before the Holy Spirit. And it would have been simply a gift had he said, I am giving you a portion of the money that I made from my property sale. But instead, he chooses to tell Peter, I am giving you every penny of what I made from the, uh, the sale of this property. So he is lying to the Holy Spirit. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? So why are you doing one thing and saying another? Why are you trying to trick the Holy Spirit? Essentially, don't you know there is no sin 
in the body of Christ. There is no lying in fellowship with Christ. Now, God used this as an extreme example for the furthest length that he can go in punishing a Christian. Um, Ananias and Sapphira both died for this sin. They died physically. They were judged temporally. This is not the common practice of God for some sin like lying. We are instead called to come back into fellowship with God. But he was showing the heinousness of sin. At the beginning of a dispensation, he was laying down the rule of life. We live by means of the Holy Spirit. We do not lie to the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit was a new presence in the Christian. It was not present in the people of God before the church. It could come upon them and fill them, but it did not indwell them. God is teaching here, the church, that the Holy Spirit lives within us. We cannot live in a lie. We cannot lie to the Holy Spirit. When we are practicing sin, we are out of fellowship. And he is saying with absolutely no, uh, no uh, gray area here that lying is wrong. Lying to the Holy Spirit is wrong. This is the furthest God will go in punishing a Christian is to take their physical life from them. It is allowing the sin to work its own um, sinfulness in the body of the Christian. The furthest sin can do to destroy a Christian is to take his life from him. And that is similar to what uh, God did with Job, allowing uh, Satan to uh, attack Job. But Job did not succumb uh, to those attacks and, and reject God. But instead, Job continued to rest in God and to rest in God's word. Uh, but we can see that Ananias and Sapphira not being like Job, not resting in God's truth and not uh, resting in the spirit, their sin led to death. Uh, later in John, we're going to read that there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. So keep this in mind when we get to that uh, section in chapter 5. Um, but read ahead and see if you can start to think about that and try to work that out in your mind based on John's theology, based on what John has taught us about the sinfulness of sin um, and how heinous it is to God. All right, there is the satanic captivity of some servants. These servants, they're not just disciples, but they are actually serving Christ. Uh, but we see that it is capable for them to become captive to Satan uh, when they cease to rest in Christ, when they cease to rest in God. So Paul here in 2 Timothy, his last letter that he wrote to Timothy here, says the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. Now remember, those are all characteristics that are impossible for a non-Christian to uh, to bear those uh, fruits of the Spirit, because only the Spirit can bear them. So he continues, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Now, repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, this is not talking about salvation. Salvation is nowhere in the context. This is talking about people who are saved, but who are not practicing the means of the Spirit that God would grant them a change of mind rather than castigating them 
punishing them, but instead allow them to see their sinfulness, come back into the truth, confess that sin, and come back into fellowship. So he's saying, perhaps God may grant them that repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. So take away the blinders from their eyes so they can see their sin, the Holy Spirit convicting their hearts. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. When they fall back into the old nature, it's a dangerous trap. They will become... Uh, uh, they will become as if they are held captive by Satan. But notice that Paul is praying to God that they come to their senses. He's praying to God that he grant them repentance leading to knowledge of truth, not praying that Satan let go of them. It is God who has allowed them to fall into their pattern of sin so that they might learn and come out of their uh, pattern of sin being stronger he does the same thing to Peter when Christ tells Peter, Satan has asked for you. He's going to sift you like wheat. But when you come back, strengthen the brothers. Uh, he is saying, I am going to allow Satan to do what he will because I hold you eternally secure. But you have maturing to do. You have growing to do because you have a leadership position coming up in this church. You will need to be strengthened. And now Peter could have rested in Christ, but God knew that he was going to deny him. Christ knew that he was going to deny him three times. And uh, he allowed Peter then to learn that lesson, uh, that when he would come back, he would be able to strengthen and encourage his brothers not to fall into sin, not to allow sin to get a foothold in their lives because sin is absolutely atrocious and it breaks fellowship with God immediately. There is no little mistake that is permitted. Any sin breaks fellowship with God. Any sin that uh, is brought to our uh, consciousness, conscious needs to, conscience needs to be confessed, given to God, uh, dealt with by the Holy Spirit, covered by the blood of Christ. We can't uh, try to justify our sins and say, oh, well, that's not really a bad sin. No, they're all bad. They all need to be brought under the saving power of Christ by his blood and say, I've sinned. I have broken fellowship with you. Um, I wish to be back in fellowship with you. So saying, basically, Lord, you help me because I can do nothing to help myself. All right, we also see from James that there is a choice between satanic wisdom and heavenly wisdom. We can search the deep things of Satan, or we can search the deep things of God. But only the Spirit, says 1 Corinthians 2, has the ability to search the things of God. So here James writes, Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. We need to agree with God about our sinfulness. This wisdom is not that which comes from above. 
trying to justify our sins is not something that is wise. We can think, oh, well, I can justify this this way. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm stealing from my boss because he doesn't pay me enough. That's not wisdom. That is not wisdom that comes from above. It is earthly. It is natural. It is demonic. We cannot justify our sinfulness before God. We confess our sinfulness before God. We seek to come back into fellowship with him by yielding to the teaching of the Holy Spirit, by resting in the promises of Christ, and by abiding in the vine. Remember, there are three different uh, stumbling blocks that, uh, that are put before the Christian. The world with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, everything we seek to do, to seek to have, to seek to be, that is contrary to the will of God, this is a stumbling block. Our remedy is we need to flee from those uh, stumbling blocks. We need not to run towards the world, but we need to run away from the world and towards God. The other sin that is a stumbling block is the flesh. Now, this is not only sexual sins, but this is any reliance on the flesh. This leads to sin. We need to deny the flesh. That doesn't mean we need to only abstain from sins that we do in the flesh, like sexual sins, but we need to deny the flesh's ability to save itself. We need to deny that the flesh has any redeeming qualities and redeeming abilities. We need to rest in the spirit. So we deny the flesh in order to uh, rest in the spirit. We flee from the world in order to rest in the spirit. And the devil uh, is our third stumbling block. Now, the devil is not omnipresent. That means he is not present in every location at all times, but he is the ruler of this world, and he can send his minions to these stumbling blocks for us. He can send uh, demonic entities or even uh, demonic spirits in order to be stumbling blocks to us. We see that throughout scriptural history, there are lying spirits uh, that come to trick the unbeliever, or the believer equally. Satan is the god of this world, and the, the unbeliever is a citizen of this world with no citizenship in heaven. But we who are have citizenship in heaven, we still are present in this world where Satan is ruler. He can send a deceiving spirit to us, just like he was a deceiving mouth to Adam and Eve. But we have the choice. Do we believe God's word? Or we, do we believe this deceiving spirit? Do we believe this antichrist spirit? We need to, in every case, choose to believe God's word and not believe Satan's word. And in so doing so, we resist the devil. We need to choose to rest in the promises of Christ and not be swayed by the lies of the devil. All right, our last section is a little quicker. Um, but now that we've laid that foundation, this will be a lot more understandable to us. And it no longer becomes a problem text, but in fact, it becomes a very necessary truth for us to understand about the heinousness of sin. Heinous means horrible. It's the terribleness of sin. Uh, so in 1 John 3, 9 through 10a, we're going to do 10b next week uh, through 10a, it says, no one who is born of God sins. This is, doesn't mean that no one who is born of God continues to sin. No one will have a pattern of sin. That means no one who is born of God sins at all. 
Now, we're going to have to look at the truth that John has already laid down to understand this, but we have the tools and we have the understanding to understand this because his seed abides in him. Now, what does seed make us think of? What is the seed that abides in the one who is born of God? It's not the old Adam. It's not the old nature. It's the new nature. No thing born of the spirit of God sins at all. The Christian has two natures. The Christian has the old nature from the seed of Adam, and it has the new nature born of God. No sin will ever come from our new nature. Any sin that the Christian commits comes from the old nature. And he says, because he cannot sin. The new man, the new nature cannot sin, but the old one can. And that is what we need to look out for. We do not want to fall into the sins of the flesh and depend on our old nature because that's where sin comes from. Sin cannot come from God. There can be no continuation of sin in a new nature of God. There can be only no sin in the nature of God. If we are sinning at all, we are not resting in that nature that God has given us. We are reverting back to our old flesh, our old sin nature, and it has to be stopped. We have to have it cut off at the base. And we can't use fire to fight fire. We can't use the flesh to fight flesh. We have to depend on the spirit to do this. It says, because he is born of God, but by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Again, this is another one that might be tricky and might be difficult for us. But we have to remember, it's talking about the natures that are born either of Adam or the nature born of Christ. The children of God are those who are born in his spirit. The children of the devil are all those born with the nature of Adam. We possess both. While we are present on this earth, the old nature does reside in us, but we do not have to live in that nature. We have all the spiritual tools available to us to render that nature dead, to believe God, to trust him that that has been judged and that it is dead. And we have every spiritual tool available to us to live in the spirit and not do the things of the devil. So by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. The new nature is the child of God. The old nature is the child of the devil. So let's look at a couple more verses uh, to better understand this. We see Paul in Romans 7 talking about his two natures and how they are at war with one another. He says, for what we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into the bondage of sin. Paul, a saved Christian, a leader of the Gentile church, is saying, I am sold into the bondage of sin in the flesh. We know that the Christian is free from the bondage of sin. Their flesh is not, but their spirit is. He says, for what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. He has the mind of Christ. He does not want to sin. But Paul here is describing a scenario, probably earlier on in his Christian walk, when he did not fully understand, but God was in the process of teaching him, that he cannot rely on the flesh to overcome sin. When he is relying on the flesh to overcome sin, he will do the work of the flesh, which is sinfulness. When he is relying on the spirit, he will not. And that's what he talks about in Romans 8. But in Romans 7, 
he's talking about relying on the flesh to do the works of the law is not going to be successful. It is always going to lead to sinfulness. So he says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I am not practicing, what I would like to do, but I am doing everything I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. The law doesn't give permission for sin, but it shows us our sinfulness. It shows us our true nature. It's like putting a magnifying glass to sin. It's going to show that it is there. It's not a remedy for sin. Christ is the only remedy for sin. The spirit that he puts in us through the cross, through the power of the blood, is the only remedy for sin. The law is not bad because it shows us our sinfulness. The law is good because it shows us our sinfulness, but it doesn't take it away. Christ takes away the sinfulness. So Paul here, depending on the law, as if it were a tool for removing sinfulness, is frustrated because in the flesh, without the spirit, he is incapable of overcoming sin. So he continues, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now the Lordship Salvation teacher is going to tell you that this is not possible, but Paul here is directly contradicting the teaching of Lordship Salvation and saying, sin dwells in me. There is sin in me. But where does John tell us that sin exists in Paul? Not in his new nature, not at all, not for a moment. It's in his old nature. When Paul is reverting to his old nature, he sees the sin that still dwells in him. He doesn't have to turn on that light switch. He doesn't have to open that door. But when he does, it's still there. So now, no longer am I the one doing it. It's not his new nature that is doing this, but the sin which dwells in me, the dead sin nature within him. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells in his flesh. For the willing is present in me. That comes from the mind, from the heart of Christ that is in us. But the doing of good is not. The doing of good is not in me. It's not in my flesh. It's in my mind because my mind is affected by the new nature of Christ living in me. But the ability to do that in the flesh is not in me. It's only in the spirit. He says, for the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. There is no sin, there is no stumbling in the spirit of God. If there is stumbling in the Christian, it comes from his sin nature. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Wait, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. So the one who wants to do good, Paul, still has evil present in him. And it's frustrating to him. For I joyfully concur with the law. He joyfully agrees with the law. The law shows him his sinfulness. He agrees with the law that he is sinful. He agrees with John in 1 John 1.8 that he has sin. Uh, in the law of God, in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. So the mind is captive to the law of God. The body is incapable of keeping the law of God. So they are at war with one another. Having the new nature of God for the first time, 
his mind does not want to do the sinfulness that he is doing. But the body still does it. So he says, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. The law of sin is existing in his members. So he hits the pinnacle of his frustration here. And he says, wretched man that I am. Now, Christians who do not believe that Christians can have a sin nature would never say wretched man that I am because their new nature is only of Christ. This wretched man that I am, he is talking about the sin nature that still clings to him. He says, who will set me free from the body of this death? That in the Greek, he's saying, who is going to set me free? Who is going to release me from this dead body? We get the picture of a dead body clinging to the back of Paul. There are two bodies. There is the spiritual new nature of Christ, and there is the old man of sin. The one is still accessible to the Christian, but we are commanded not to live by means of that flesh. We are not to revert back to the dead man. We are to rest in Christ, to rest in the promises of Christ, to rest continually in fellowship with him. We recognize that sin is possible in the Christian. Paul says very clearly that it is. John says very clearly that it is. James says very clearly that it is. We lie to ourselves and we set ourselves up for failure when we deny this truth. When we try to lie about the truth in order for it to fit our theology, we are setting booby traps for us to fall into. We are going to take away the power of Christ to overcome the sin in our bodies when we deny that we even have sin in our bodies. We need to agree with Christ. We need to agree with scripture that sin is present in the body of Christ, a Christian, and we need to deal with it as the heinous sin that it is, not permitting it at all into the body of Christ. We need to confess our sin. We need to come back into fellowship. We need to rest in Christ so that we are not doing the works of the flesh that lead to sin. So he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he's saying, Basically, there is a war going on inside of me, but thanks to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Christ, or Paul recognizes the conflict of the sin nature with the mind of Christ living in him. We need to yield to the mind of Christ. We need to yield to the spirit in order to overcome the flesh. We cannot use the flesh to overcome the flesh. So on the right hand, we have Paul, the new man with the mind of Christ, the things that he wants to do, but the old nature still exists within him. Now he can live with Christ by resting in the spirit. Or he can revert to the old man by the flesh, by the old nature. It's up to him. Is he going to try to do it himself? Or is he going to yield to the spirit and let the spirit do it? Is he going to let the spirit work and will within him? On the left, we have Saul of Tardis, Paul before his conversion. His mind used to agree with his body. He used to have the thoughts to do sinfulness, and the body to do sinfulness. He had one nature, the nature of death, the old man bound for the grave. But now he has the new nature available to him, but it is not an automatic. 
that he is going to use that new nature. He should. He should only use that new nature. But we see that when he rests in the flesh, when he chooses the things of the flesh, he does not do the works of the spirit. He does the works of the flesh. All right, we're almost done here. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the new nature within us and the promise that we have because of it and the old nature and the death that it will experience at the return of Christ. So he says, so also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So we have a living soul through our image of Adam, the image of a man living in us, but we have the life-giving spirit. We have the new spirit living in us through the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. The natural man came first. We are born of water in the spirit or uh, in the natural man. But then came the spiritual. This is when John tells Nicodemus, you have to be born by water and by the spirit. You have to be born naturally and you have to be born spiritually. You can't have just the one. You can't be just born through water and be saved. You have to be born again by the spirit. So he says, the first man is from the earth. Adam is from the earth. He is earthly. The second man is from heaven. Jesus Christ is from heaven. His spirit is from heaven. In Genesis 5, 3, which we don't have here, we see that Adam bore his son, Seth, in his image. He bore him in the image of Adam. When Seth bore another child, he bore him in the image of Seth, which was in the image of Adam. Every natural man is born in the image of Adam, the fallen man. That's the sin nature that lives within us. But every man who is born of Christ has a new nature. They are born with the eternal nature of Christ that cannot die. It says, as is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. What comes from the earth suffers the fate of the earth. What comes from Christ suffers the fate of Christ. So the old nature living in us will suffer the death with the world. It will perish with this earth. But the new nature living within us will not die because Christ will not die. We have died and risen again with Christ in our new nature. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So just as we were born in Adam, we are also born in Christ. So just as we are born in the image of the earth, we are born in the image of heaven when we are born again in Christ. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood, the natural, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What has been born in the image of Adam cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable, the old nature is destined for death, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Even at the rapture, even for those who do not die and become resurrected into their bodies, even those who go up in the rapture will not bring their fleshly body with them. It is still destined for the, the, uh, the destiny of the earth. It will still perish with the earth. We cannot take the body that we have with us now through the rapture with us, we will be given a new body. So it says we will not all sleep, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. 
So even those who do not die, even those who are alive in Christ at the time of his appearance, we will not take this body of sin into heaven with us. We will be changed. We will be given a new body so that our new body is in agreement with the spirit living in us in Christ. No longer will there be a war between our flesh and our nature. These two natures will not be at war with each other when we see Christ face to face. He says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. The dead will not be raised into an old nature body. It will be raised into a glorified body. And we will be changed. Paul was speaking here as if he were anticipating the rapture of Christ, even in his own day. We know that it is imminent. It can happen at any time. And Paul knew this well as well. So he says that even we will be changed. Those who are not dead will be changed. They will not keep that old body. For this perishable, this perishable body, this body that will die, must put on the imperishable, the body that cannot die. And this mortal must put on immortality. So our last verse is here. We're looking in Galatians 5 at the means of the spirit. What is the means of the spirit that we have not to walk in sin so that we can walk in the spirit? So he says, but I say, walk by the spirit. This is putting the spirit in an adverbial. And it's saying, do this action of walking by the means of the spirit. So it doesn't say, use your flesh to walk as if you are spiritual. But he is saying, walk using the spirit. Do not use your flesh to walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. When we rest in the spirit, when we yield to the spirit, we are walking by means of the spirit. Essentially, you can think of it as getting in your spiritual car, not getting in your flesh car and saying, this engine and these wheels, they're going to get me there. I might have to do a little bit of steering to keep myself from going off into the, off into nowhere, but my job is to maintain the course, not make the car go. The spirit makes the car go. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. This is the warring nature again, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. They are not friends, the old nature and the new nature. So that you may not do the things that you please. This is what Paul was talking about. The flesh is the enemy of the spirit. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Remember, the law produced sin, not because the law was bad, but because it shows us our sinfulness. And when we have only those fleshly means to overcome sin, we're not going to be capable of it. We're going to see sin reduplicating itself when we try to use the flesh to overcome it. So he says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these, of which I have forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does he say practices these things? The flesh. Does the Christian have flesh still? Is he still possessing of the old nature? Yes. But that old nature will not enter the kingdom of God. It will not possess the kingdom of God. But the spirit will. 
the new nature will. So he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is a package deal. The spirit brings all of these, not one of these, not some of these, all of them. He says, against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the means of the spirit, not by the means of the flesh, let us walk also by the spirit. If we live, having been regenerated by the spirit, let us also match our actions with that and no longer live by the flesh, but live by the spirit. Yield to the spirit, not to the flesh. And we will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh, but rather the deeds of the spirit. All right. We went a couple minutes over, but I hope it was a good lesson. Um, that is the wonderful and beautiful passage of First John 3, uh, 7 through 10a. Uh, not a problem passage. In fact, a passage that needs to be interpreted through a free grace understanding, following the argument of John. Otherwise, we are going to be permitting sin, diminishing the horribleness of sin, or allowing sin in the body of Christ. None of those are acceptable. Sin is bad in every means, and there can be no gray area about it. It is bad. It has to be confessed. It has to be given to Christ. Our flesh cannot handle it. The spirit can. The spirit can remedy that sin in us, but we can't escape it without the spirit. So um, let's pray, and then uh, I'll let you guys get to sleep. All right, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you have given us the Apostle John, uh, the one whom you loved, so that he could teach us about fellowship with you, so that he could teach us how to be intimately in a relationship with you, that we can have healthy lives living in the spirit and not living in the flesh. Lord, I thank you for the fellowship that we are able to enjoy with one another, having all the mind of Christ, that we could live with the mind of Christ and uh, and have it be possible to be in fellowship with one another and with you. And uh, we harmonize with John here and say that it is our greatest joy to be in fellowship with you. Lord, we lift up those uh, members of our fellowship, Nita, who is uh, busy at work uh, quite often. We ask that you give her rest, that she is able to enjoy you and to rest in you, uh, even while working. Uh, we thank you for Lisa and also her daughter. Um, we pray that you can help them to feel the, the uh, wonderful joy of fellowship with you and with one another. We know that Lisa loves her daughter dearly, and we pray desperately uh, that she come into fellowship with you and uh, be able to enter into that joy even on earth. And Lord, we pray for Janet and Charlie as well. Um, we know that you love marriage and that it is a picture of Jesus together with the church and just as we the church long to be together with you Christ so Janet and Charles long to be with one another we pray that you give them this blessing here on this earth that they might enjoy their marriage together Lord we also pray for Janet who just received her COVID shot we pray for her health um, and we pray for her safety as well that she won't get the virus and that she won't get any symptoms from the shot uh, Lord, keep her healthy so that she can be about your business here in this world and give her the strength to be about your business. Let her walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. 
Lord, I pray for myself also uh, that you would uh, guide me in my ministry, uh, guide me as I teach others uh, to always be resting in you and seeking to understand the truth, uh, not resting in theology, but resting in the word of God. Lord, we pray all these things in your wonderful and glorious name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, we...